apologize. When this baby hits 88 miles per hour, you're gonna see some serious shit. I have a plan. You've got a plan. I have part of a plan. It's your weekly dose of all things geeky. Class is pain 101. The instructor's Casey Jones. Movies, comic books, movies based on comic books. Excelsior! Video games, toys, TV shows. Professional wrestling. It's still real to me, damn it! <laughs> All the things you got made fun of for in high school. Come on, you fuckers think that just because a guy reads comics he can't start some shit? So grab your action figures, bag and board your comics, and roll for initiative. It's time to talk nerdy to me. Hello there. It's your favorite host in all of podcasting, Obi John Kenobi, coming to you with another hot, fresh episode of Talk Nerdy 2 Electric Boogaloo. This week, joining me, as always, my stalwart right-hand man, the... I didn't have a good analogy. Um, the growling Chewbacca to my Han Solo, the man who keeps the nerd in Talk Nerdy to me, Commander Scott. Yes, I did. Wow, that. I didn't know that. Wow, that's, that's, yeah, that's yeah, amazing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, actually, though, uh, just just so you're aware, helium. Since we we discussed states of matter previously in last week's episode, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. helium under normal atmospheric pressure, when cooled to the coldest it's ever been, which is very close to absolute zero negative 460 degrees Fahrenheit does not become a solid. It becomes what is known as a superfluid and it will, it will continue to spread until it reaches its equilibrium state with gravity. Even if that means going up and over the side of the container that it's in, it will flow against gravity. Uh, the first time this was discovered was because when they cooled it, the scientists cooled it to that temperature and it became a superfluid. They thought the container was leaking because it was it was pooling out of the container and onto the surface where the container was sitting. So superfluids are cool. Well, that's crazy. Well, thank you, Commander Scott, as always, for keeping the nerdy and taught nerdy to me. I try. We appreciate that. Sometimes you come and, and give us nerdy facts, and that's what we appreciate about you. Everyone deserves nerdy facts all the time. <laughs> well, as fun as nerdy facts are, let's get on with the real meat of the story. Uh, we've got uh, a little bit of a grab bag of a show this week. We're going to take a deep dive into something a little bit. Uh, before that, we've got some shorter topics to burn through real quick, just because I don't think they'll take long because there's not a whole lot to dive into. but. We'd be remiss not talking about them. Uh, first and foremost, uh, right up your alley, Commander Scott, we got the trailer for the new Star Trek animated series, Star Trek Lower Decks, this week. What do you think? Yes. You know, I I still haven't completely formed an opinion on Lower Decks. Part of me is intrigued. Part of me cringes. Because it's Trek. I don't, <laughs> I don't I don't want Rick and Morty in my Trek. Yeah. There's I, a I'm lot fine of Rick with, and Morty in there. There is a lot of Rick and Morty in there. Uh, I'm fine with Trek in my Rick and Morty 
because Rick and Morty covers a wide range of stuff, and that's what it is. But mm-hmm. um, several things every time I see, because there's been a lot of stuff coming out, or at least popping up on my feed, about uh, Lower Decks over the last few weeks. And every time it pops up, uh-huh. I'm like, yeah, that's cool. Give us the series. Don't just keep giving us teases. Don't keep giving us stills and art and images and trailers. Give us the series. It's been forever now. Why, why, why do we not have the series yet? You you started work on this before you started work on Picard. But I don't get it. Um, but, yeah. I, I, don't, I don't, I think it's going to be too... I mean, if you take it, you know, as its own thing and don't try to to put it in Star Trek canon and just enjoy it for what it is, I, I think it's going to be okay. But these are Star Trek fans we're talking about. Right. They try to put everything in canon. It's what they do. Uh, I don't know if it's just, I just don't know if it's going to go over well. Uh, well, I mean, the uniforms look cool. The ship looks cool. Uh, it. it, it Try to be positive here. It looks like it's maybe something that's designed for fans of Star Trek because I think it's going to sort of take some pokes at Star Trek itself. Um, some of the the tropes and and, and things of uh, Star Trek, like the uh, <laughs> the part where they cut to the the bridge crew and like they're all you know super fantastic, awesome. Uh, like the bridge crew can do anything. Like these ten, you know. These whatever eight people can, yeah, yeah. can run the whole shit. Like again, trying to be positive. I I feel like they're kind of going that way a little bit. That we're gonna we're gonna poke fun at Trek a little bit. Um, yes, because 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 Star Trek fans always take it well when you poke fun at Star Trek. Well, and see, that's the thing. That's the sense I get from this trailer. Is this is not for Star Trek fans. This is to bring in people who are not Star Trek fans into liking Star Trek. Uh, and it's going to do that with a healthy dose of making fun of itself. Uh, but no, no, you're right. I don't think, and that's the biggest sense I get is this is, we are trying to appeal to the widest ray, uh, array of people we can cast the widest net. So we are going to delude our hardcore Star Trek with lots of Rick and Morty, uh, peanut butter in your Star Trek chocolate. <laughs> and, and we're going to, we're going to make big wide jokes and and realize that Trek is goofy and sometimes flat out dumb, and we're just going to kind of own up to that. Um, yeah, I, but... I, I think this is very much not for. Again, not to say that Trek fans won't get something fun out of it, but I think the target audience is: let's bring in people who aren't Trek fans. Let's make this look like a Rick and Morty show or uh, 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 some other Adult Swim show, and let's get people in that way. See, and I, I don't, if that is their intention, I don't think that's going to work because you don't, you don't make people fans of your franchise by starting out. And the first thing you show them is, Hey, here's everything that's wrong and stupid about our stuff. Come love us. I, I don't, I don't see that. I don't see that happening. That's just me. It's fair. Um, once again, I'll watch it, uh, and I'm sure I will laugh at some of the jokes at least because I I love Rick and Morty, um, but Rick and Morty is Rick and Morty. Uh, Trek is Trek. I don't know. Fair enough. All right. Well, we'll we're gonna jump topics then. 
because uh, this is our, our quick shotgun blast topics. Uh, so jumping from Star Trek seamlessly into Star Wars. Yes, that uh, was very seamless. Yes. Yes, I know. Bam, look at that. Uh, <laughs> it appears to be uh, the Obi-Wan series is getting itself not just an interesting cameo, but a full-on regular cast member, Hayden Christensen. Returning as either Anakin or Vader as a series regular on the Obi Wan TV series. Vaderkin? Yes. Ah. Well, so we, we <laughs> I don't think it's been officially announced, but it's been reported by enough reputable sites that I'm bringing it here to the show um, that Hayden Christensen will be in the show and not just as a cameo, as a full on series regular. Which is prompting people to try to figure out: Okay, is he going to be Anakin in flashbacks, or is Vader himself going to be a character in the show? Um, I would say they're going to do the flashback thing, um, yep. because I, I feel that if you're just going to have Vader in, um then you're going to have either James Earl Jones, which they did in uh, Rebels, you know, a few times. Uh-huh. Uh, or uh, there was there was another voice actor that they used for Vader uh, prior to Rebels or something, wasn't there? I don't know. I thought Probably. Or, or the other voice actor. But yeah, you don't need to pay the money for Hayden Christensen just to have him in the, uh, uh, in the armor. Uh, I know he was in the armor in uh, episode three. And I know mm-hmm. he, he lobbied hard. From what I heard, he lobbied pretty hard, uh, uh, George Lucas, to to let him do that. Yep. Um, and I like that, and that's fine. But you already had, you know, Hayden Christensen was already there, and we see his transformation, so it, you know, it's cool. But yeah, if if you're doing a series, if you're doing this series, and you're you're going to have Vader in, um, you don't pay the money for Hayden Christensen when you're not going to see him or hear him. Fair enough. So. Yeah, I look for them to do the the flag. Now, unless we get Vader, you know, coming to Tatooine, uh, going over to, to Obi-Wan's hut, you know, they, they kick back, they have some Jawa juice, and, and he takes the helmet off, and he's like, Phew. this Empire stuff is really hard, you know. Yep, that's exactly what it's going to be. <laughs> Nailed it. <laughs> no, I think just from the pure popularity of Clone Wars right now, uh, bring Christensen back to play Anakin during flashbacks. And I don't even, you know, they could be random flashbacks throughout their history together. It could be whatever the main thrust of the story is ties back into something that happened earlier with, with, you know, but seeing given how popular uh, Clone Wars is and giving how much work Clone Wars has done to sort of recontextualize the prequel movies, and, and and actually make people appreciate the Clone Wars and the prequel movies, and and you know it'd be awesome to see this come full circle and get Hayden Christensen back as Anakin and even back as Obi Wan and see a live action, even if it's just for one or two episodes, a live action Clone Wars adventure with the two of them, with all of the Clone Wars as canon. Um, ah, I just kicked my mic. I'm sorry. I think that would be cool. I think that would definitely bring fans in. Um, 
I don't, I don't think we'll see Vader in this series. I could be wrong. I definitely don't think we'll see a confrontation between Vader <laughs> and Obi-Wan because that would directly contradict the first movie, and I don't think we're going to be doing yeah. that. No, no. Uh, but I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility to see Vader in this series at some point. I don't think, you know, again, I don't think him and, him and Obi-Wan are going to duke it out, but um, given the time frame this is set in, maybe not out of the realm of possibility. Uh, but no, I, just, I think it's interesting that they're bringing him back as a full cast member, not just well, as a, a one or two off cameo character. I think it's interesting. Well, the the idea of bringing him back as a as a full cast member uh, instead of the the one or two off, I think lends toward um, uh, basically a a a story from the uh, the Cold War or the Cold War <laughs> the Cold Wars. Um, <laughs> that will run concurrently with the, 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 the current story thread. There'll be a separate flashback thread that is played out across the season. If that makes sense. So no, that, that's definitely what I think they would. Yeah. The we'll, way I think they would go. Yeah. Yeah. We'll regular regularly in each episode be getting flashbacks somewhat similar to what uh, Mandalorian did with, uh, with the flashbacks to him being and uh, being found. Uh, mm-hmm. by, by uh by death watch it runs throughout the series so yeah i i definitely think that's that's the route they're going this the or the first several the seasons of arrow yeah. where we have the uh flashbacks to earlier events tying into the story thrust of that main episode yeah no i definitely think uh it, it excites me i love to see it i love to see hayden christensen getting some love again and and we've kind of full come full circle around on the uh um the prequel stuff that you can say the name Hayden Christensen and people get excited about him coming back and not like, boo. So glad to see that. Uh, all right. Our last shotgun style news blast. This has me really excited. Uh, if you listen to the show the last few years, you know, we are big, big fans of uncle Joe Bob Briggs. And it was announced earlier this week. Not that anyone really doubted it. But it's official now. Uh, the last drive-in with Joe Bob Briggs on Shutter, getting a third season next year, uh, and not only that, but next month we're getting a summer sleepover special with Joe Bob. Uh, so more fun Joe Bob coming at you. We just wrapped up season two a few a month ago. So that being said, hey, are we excited for Joe Bob? Uh, and what? movies do you want to see joe bob tackle in season three i've got a couple scott well you're always always happy to see uh joe bob briggs doing what he does in, in his very best style in, in only the way he can mm-hmm. um uh as for last season though i haven't watched it all but there were some movie choices in last season that that were just wow they were weird and yep. visceral and they were dude, something ah there were some that I, I couldn't watch i'm like i i can get into some some hardcore stuff but that that weird quasi snuff film japanese <laughs> metal thing that 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 he watched was out there like off planet out there it was it was just yeah. So as far as what's what's coming down the pike, I of course no idea. I don't know what I would like to see. I, I don't know how he can top 
um, the Phantasm Christmas special. That's just me. Because I love that. That might be only you, but okay. That was like, that's like my favorite special he's done so far. Fair enough. Um, well, my dream list, and I know there's a lot of things that have to happen for this to happen, but we all want to see Darcy make him watch Halloween 3 again, uh, which I really thought we were going to get at one point uh, at the uh, during this season when they, they switched the movies on him at the last minute. <laughs> is that uh, on Shutter? It is not currently on Shutter. Uh, however, they have gotten really good about premiering movies on Shutter on the last drive-in ah, to okay, throw so... people off. There have been a few movies this year that were not on Shutter until Joe Bob aired them on last drive-in, and then the very next day, boom, they're on Shutter now. That's kind of cool. Or I think in some cases a week or two later, like um, Scare Package. Yeah, um, which was one of my favorites from this last season. It's a great anthology movie, really fun. Um, that wasn't on the channel at all. And I, in fact, I think it was like the, the next week or two weeks later, the actual just the movie itself without the jump up commentary popped up. So they've gotten good about that, about not tipping their hand too much. Of, well, they can't show that. It isn't on Shutter. Well, hey, guess what's debuting right now on Shutter? It's this movie. <laughs> um, so it's possible. Um. But they've also, they just brought back Sleepaway Camp, which was part of, I think, the original marathon um, before season one. I could be wrong. Um, but they've also brought in most of the sequels for Sleepaway Camp, which I myself still have not seen. So I am really hoping at some point during uh, this season or maybe even uh, this uh, summer sleepover. Because Sleepaway Camp, Sleepover, close enough. Uh, I'd love to see the rest of the series get done. And I'd love to see uh, Felicia Rose come back in because she's a fun guest. Her and Joe Bob have a good time together. Uh, and when Joe Bob has a good time, we all have a good time. This is true. And Sleepaway yeah. Camp is good, you know, when Jason puts on that hockey mask and, and everything. It's just, uh, love mm-hmm. those movies. Yeah. Totally. <laughs> I, actually, I've never seen the Sleepaway movies at all. I have, I have, I know nothing about them. I have seen the first one, uh, but my first time watching it was on whichever marathon Joe Bob did it as part of uh, his his stuff. So, yeah, the the only thing that I know about it is um, the seeing the poster when uh, what's her name was at uh, was it Scarefest that one year? Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. I guess I, don't know. You, I, okay. I know you and I think I think Grit got autographs or something or somebody got an autograph. Yes, yes we did. Uh, then I'm not going to say anything else about Sleepaway Camp, and you just need to go watch the Joe Bob episode. Uh, I don't want to ruin anything for you. Okay. Uh, so, yeah, any other movies you'd love to see Joe Bob show uh, for Sleepaway Camp? I, I would love to see Joe Bob, and I think he'd done it before, uh, not on uh, Shudder, of course, and I don't I don't think he will because it's not on Shudder, but I'd love to see him do some of the Nightmare on Elm Street. Um, I'll take any of them, but I'd love to see his commentary on the first one. Well, as we established, just because it isn't streaming right now, doesn't mean they couldn't do it. Uh, but yeah, that'd be cool. He's he's done. Uh, I was really hoping we were going to get a Friday the Thirteenth marathon this year because for all of like six weeks, Shutter had um, I think the first eight Friday movies on there, and coming up in November is a Friday the Thirteenth, and I got super excited because Joe Bob usually does another marathon sometime in the fall. Uh, and then I didn't realize how short of a window Shutter had the streaming rights for Friday the 13th. 
because I was really lo- I would love to see him redo his marathon from back in the uh, Monster Vision days. Um, but yeah, th- th- that Elm Street would be cool. I'm sure at some point he's probably gotten to at least some of the movies. Um, but it would always be cool to see it, even just because he did it back in the day on Monster Vision doesn't mean it is entertaining to see him come out of movie again. Um, especially now that he has you know little to no restrictions on his his commentary and what he can say and do. Yeah. That would be awesome. And, and uh, I, I appreciate the, I won't say I enjoy, but I appreciate the random ass crazy shit Joe Bob puts on. Because uh, I definitely would not have watched several movies uh, if Joe Bob hadn't said, hey, watch this. I'm like, oh, okay, Joe Bob said to watch it. So yeah. there's sometimes when I'm in the middle of like, why am I watching this, Joe Bob? <clears throat> but I will watch it because he told me to. Um. Yeah, I really like I really like him being on uh, uh, Shutter because he's not limited uh, in his. You know, he doesn't have the same time constraints that he did with his uh, 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 Monster Vision and uh, what was the what was the first series on uh, was it the, uh, was it the movie channel was it it was the movie channel and it was at the drive in with Joe Bob or something like that All right. Anyway, yeah, he, he doesn't have those because on those he was coming, you know, cutting to and then coming back from commercial. He had a very small window. Now he's got a much bigger window. We get we get a lot more Joe Bob mm-hmm. uh, for the for the movies and stuff. And I love that because I actually I just care more about Joe Bob, I think, than I do watching the actual movie. I'm watching the movie going, cool. When are we getting back to Joe Bob? <laughs> there have been a few of those. <laughs> Uh, I also really enjoy getting to watch the movie for the first time with the Joe Bob commentary tossed in to kind of put things in perspective and, and give me my trivia. I try very hard. I've gotten tried because I'm like you, Scott. I, as soon as I'm watching a movie, <clears throat> if it hits a lull, the first thing I do is pull my phone up and start looking at trivia about it and, you know, behind yeah. the scenes stuff. I've I've tried very, very hard not to do that with Joe Bob because I know he's going to give it to me. Um, But. Um. Oh, uh, I I think Joe Bob should start releasing uh riff tracks versions. You know, his own riff tracks version thing for for movies that you can you know purchase, that download, and 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 watch with the movie. Well, I think what they're working on now, uh, according to his teases, uh, they've got the old Monster Vision tapes. Uh, and it looks like they're working on digitizing and possibly releasing in some form the original Monster Vision episodes with Joe Bob. Now, I, I don't think and I highly doubt that will contain the actual movie itself. I think it's probably just yeah. his commentary. Um, but there's definitely a way <clears throat> to do that where, like Rift Track style, like you said, you sync up your version of the movie with the Joe Bob commentary. And okay, at this time, Mark, pause the movie listen to Joe Bob. Okay, now I'll go back to the movie. At this time, Mark, okay, pause the movie again, go back to Joe Bob. Um, be a little work, but I think it'd be worth it because Joe Bob. It would be a little, a little bit of work, but uh, um, speaking of teases, you just you just triggered something in my brain. Uh, Bruce Campbell teased something on his tweet the other day, and I was really excited and then really upset. Okay. Yeah, he teased a, a picture of himself like close up on his face 
with a little hint of like a kind of a cowboy hat brim at the, at the top of the thing. Uh, and it uh, had a link to something with Briscoe County Jr. And his tweet was back for one last ride. And I'm like, holy shit, he's doing Briscoe again. And so I clicked on the link and no, he's not. It's just several of the cast members coming back for a reunion table read of the first episode. Bastards. Well, that's fun. No, it's not. I want if he's gonna tease that shit. I want new Briscoe. Damn it. Well, Sorry. file that under things that are never gonna happen. <laughs> things that are never gonna happen. Sadly. <clears throat> so. Anyway. So yeah, we're excited for Joe Bob. Tons of stuff you could do, and that's what I love about it. Um, the hardest part is the waiting, which is now what we start. But hey, uh, I think it's like three weeks from now in August. Uh, he'll be doing a summer sleepover and I really hope it's the rest of the sleepaway camp movies or just all the sleepaway camp movies, uh, throw them in there together. I don't care if he does it a second time on his own show. It's going to be uh, too Wong Fu. Thanks for everything. Julie Newmar debuting that night <laughs> just to throw everyone off. And I, I really do. I love that. They've started doing that. Um, that episode or, or movies debut on the service on Joe Bob. It, it's a great way to, to keep people on their toes and, and guessing and uh, I'm breaking my mic again uh, to, to, to not, uh, I lost what I was going to say. It's, it's a fun way to, to keep people from eliminating. Oh, well, it isn't on the service yeah. yet. So Joe Bob can't do it like that. Nah, nah, maybe yeah. Yeah. you never know. Keeps it up in the air. Yes. There you go. Okay. That's enough of that. Uh, is there any other random new stuff you want to talk about? That's what I had written. Random news stuff. Oh, uh, I did hear, uh, and I don't keep in mind you are talking to the wrong person for news. Yeah, uh, no. I, I don't. I don't get anything. <laughs> this has know. been news from last month with Scott Cox because <laughs> he just heard about it. I just heard about it. <laughs> no, I, I did just hear though. Uh, I was talking to a friend of mine, and uh, apparently, I, I guess Sam Raimi has signed on as director of the uh, the Doc Strange movie. Is that new? I don't know. That's really, really old, and I don't think it's official. Oh, okay. Unless it's really, really new. He, he It was confirmed he was in talks. I don't think they signed a deal, but I could be wrong. Because uh, right now, everything's up in the air as, as far as productions go. Uh, but it is, it is true he was or is in talks to direct it. Yeah. Okay, I just heard about that yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So... Uh, unless unless something broke and I missed it where they officially signed a deal and I could be wrong on that. Uh, I haven't looked into it. Yeah. Uh, Once again, don't, don't, don't take anything that I say as breaking news (laughs) ever, ever. No, I did hear that they're, they're finally doing, you know, uh, uh, part, uh, part six of star Wars return of the Jedi heard that was coming out. Um, so, but is, is that not new? I love you, Scott. Well, no, that's a good uh, talking about good old Sam Raimi transitions directly into what we're going to spend the bulk of the show talking about today. Yes. We are going to do a deep dive and explain to you why, in our opinion, and this is exactly what I'm going to tease in the description to get people to watch it, why Spider-Man 2 is the best Spider-Man movie ever made. Completely and utterly. To date. Yes, at the time of this recording. <laughs> uh, you, you can take your, your Tom Hollands and your 
fields and all that, and you can keep them. Uh, to us, the bar has been set and not quite touched by Sam Raimi's masterpiece, Spider-Man 2, warts and all. Uh, and we're going to do a deep dive into why we think that is. And Scott, I've got three pages of notes from when I rewatched it last night uh-huh. um, that obviously go in chronological order as I watch the movie, but we can jump around if you want. Um, well, we're happy. I don't actually have anything written down. I just okay. have what I have in my head. So. Well, then I want to go chronologically. Okay. Because that's how my notes are written. That's fine. Let's, let's, let's take your notes and we'll, we'll use that as a, okay. as a makeshift storyboard for, uh, for what we're going to discuss. And here. I did, look, I'm not saying it's a perfect movie. And I do have a few things I want to call out for being pretty bad. Uh, but even the bad things in this movie don't drown out the movie overall. Uh, so I'm just going to start with the first thing that grabbed my attention. And again, I hadn't watched this movie in, in years. Um, so that's why I wanted to rewatch it before we did this. But the first thing that grabbed my attention and, and that I sadly forgot about until this movie started, that fantastic Danny Elfman Spider-Man score. Okay. That runs throughout the movies, but is it draws the most attention to itself right there in the opening credits. Uh, literally, I forgot Danny Elfman did a Spider-Man score until those 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 notes started, and I was like, "Oh yeah, Spider-Man! Oh yeah, that was Danny!" Oh man, I forgot about this theme. This theme used to be my jam. Uh, it is just so great. It's so energetic and high tempo and moody and everything Spider-Man is, but in musical form. I, I love Danny Elfman's Spider-Man. Well. Um... I'm going to have to take your word for it. Cause I, I watched this. The last time I watched Spider-Man two was it was either earlier this week or it was the end of last week. So it's been recently, but I don't, I, I don't hear music or I don't remember music after I watch a, mu- a, a movie, um, at least the score. I, I, my brain doesn't register it. So I honestly could not tell you how that score goes off the top of my head. I have no idea. Uh, I remember the opening credits because I remember it does the 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 whole. Oh, we're know, getting to that. Hold on, the, the whole we're spider getting, web thing. We're getting to that. Oh, okay. Uh, I just wanted to, the, the the score is what hit me first, and it was one of those. I loved that score back in the day. I had the uh, the the not the soundtrack, the score somewhere on CD because um, that's how old I am. <laughs> but yeah, Danny Elfman again, a fantastic composer, and he's he's done so much great work in the superhero world. He did the. Uh, 1990s Flash TV show. He did obviously the Batman, uh, Michael Keaton theme, uh, which are both incredibly iconic. Uh, both as yeah, that's Batman's music, and yet that's a Danny Elfman score. Um, so I, I had forgotten the Danny Elfman Spider-Man score. Shame on me. It's fantastic, Scott. I'm sure if I start playing it, you'd be like, oh yeah, and, and that's true. Yeah, you start playing it. Then, in fact, when it when it comes to scores and composers and stuff, especially Danny Elfman. The the only thing that I really remember, if you whenever you say Danny Elfman, is that that joke from the 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 Family Guy uh, Empire Strikes Back parody. <laughs> uh, they kill John Williams. And they kill John Williams. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. <clears throat> so the next thing, uh, very soon after, in the opening credits, um, this is a sequel. Obviously, it's called Spider Man Two. So the first movie got the origin out of the way. Which I think modern audiences would very much agree origin stories are the least interesting thing about a superhero. And if the origin is the most interesting 
interesting thing about your character, you've got a problem. Uh, so this movie gives you a fantastic recap of what of the highlights of the first Spider-Man movie in art from legit comic book artist Alex Ross. Yes. I, I, I love the opening credits of this movie. It's one of my favorite yes. opening credits. Um, like, yeah, well, it, it just does that that whole... And instead of moving like comic panel to comic panel, you know, they're, they're in web form. The panels uh-huh. are separated by webs and I love, love Alex Ross, you know, his, uh, his, his stuff. But that, that's one thing that I, I really like is, is when you have an artist that, that re-renders, I guess you could say screenshots mm-hmm. from, from whatever, you know, you're, you're doing, um, Fantasy Flight Games does very good with their games on that. They they don't use screenshots. They have artists that, that re-render stuff. And, uh, yeah, I love this. It gives you a complete recap of the origin, gets it completely out of the way. Hey, remember? This happened. Good. Let's get on with it. Yeah, and that's it's it's <clears throat> a series of shots of, of Alex Ross. <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, Alex Ross paintings of iconic moments from the first movie, which is basically just to, to jog your memory of, oh yeah, like, you know, the scene where he wakes up after getting bit and he's got abs and doesn't need his glasses anymore. The upside down kiss, which is part of just film history now. Gets, rejogs your memory and gets all that stuff out. We can just yeah. get on with the story of him being Spider-Man, which I think is uh, immensely more interesting than the origin. So, uh, yeah. Uh, the, the next thing that immediately grabbed my attention, and this is the actor hadn't even appeared on screen. His name popped up in the credits, and I immediately had to write it down. And I'm going to come back to this a lot throughout because, again, I wrote notes as I watched the movie. Mm-hmm. J.K. Simmons as J. Jonah Jameson. J.K. Simmons is, is arguably the best part of. The all three of these any Spider Man movie he's ever in, he's the best part of. Uh, when he's on screen, he steals the scene completely. Um, yeah, uh, bringing him back as uh, as uh, JJ is uh, probably one of my favorite parts of uh, the newer Spider Man stuff. Yeah, we haven't got it fully yet, but it's been teased. It's it's one of those castings that was just so perfect. Um, the Andrew Garfield movies never even included the character because it's just like well, we don't know how to do that any better. And then we came again full circle um, yeah. with with the the Marvel MCU films, where it's just like just just call J.K. Simmons. Yeah. Let's now, not even try. Just call J.K. Simmons. You, you know, can he, uh, can he sit in front of the green screen for ten minutes? We'll pay him. Well, in all honesty. J.K. Simmons knocks it out of the park. There's no doubt. We, we we know him. We love him. But one thing that I don't think gets enough credit is the whole the casting of the the whole Daily Bugle office staff. Yeah, the yeah. staff uh, as his because it's almost it's it's a mini cast in and of itself. You got the cast of the movie, and you got this mini cast that that play very well off each other. You've got. And, and I don't know all their names, of course, but the actor playing uh, Robbie, yes, uh, does a does a great job. I, I wish he would have gotten a little bit more screen time in this movie. I uh, wish any of the cast of the 
have gotten at some point more screen time because you're right, they are fantastic. Uh, Elizabeth Banks as Betty Brandt. Yep. Uh, who who just in, in in this movie, you know, I I love it when uh, when she's constantly, you know, out out at her desk and everything, and JK's like she's just trying to get his attention because because she's she's trying to get stuff through to him. Yeah. And he's he's constantly like the miming of the hang up, you know. He's just, don't care. <laughs> um, she, then, uh, life is, your wife is online too, so she lost the checkbook. Thanks for the good news. <laughs> um, uh, and uh, oh, uh, the, Ted Ramey, yeah, uh, not Ted the assistant. Yeah, Ted Ramey. Thank you. Yeah. I, I was thinking, I was getting Sam and Ted nope. name locked, but yeah, Ted Ramey. You know. All four of them just make that office, and the, the 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 cadence and the flow and and everything. It's just like this mini cast inside a larger movie. Uh, they all deserve credit for making those scenes what they are. It might be no, totally with you. Uh, the next thing, get that they didn't really come back. Um, Something I love about this film and something I think other films didn't quite get right. Uh, and I, honestly, this whole trilogy really gets right. New York City itself is a character in the film. Just it, The setting of this movie is distinctly New York because we go from uh, Joe's Pizza, the guy who runs the, the pizza delivery service that Peter's working for at the beginning, yep. who's this honest, hardworking, running his own small business kind of guy to the receptionist at the office who just completely doesn't give a shit. Yep. Uh, I'm not paying for those. Um, uh, the landlord, rent. Yes. Uh, like every random side character in this is just like they bleed character. Yes. And by that I mean like they are instantly like you, you get what the, what they, who they are and what they're about. And this movie is populated with tons of these small side characters that really give the whole movie a sense of, of place. Um, mm-hmm. The mm-hmm. the bank teller played by um, what's his name from uh, Joe, Joe McHale. Thank you. Yeah. 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 I, I forgot until I watched it. I was like, Holy shit, that's Joel McHale. I forgot he was in this movie completely. completely. Yeah. Uh, Hal Sparks in the elevator. Just randomly. <clears throat> yeah. yeah. Nice body suit. Like that random encounter in the (laughs) elevator. Like it feels like, yep, that's New York. Uh, Or at least that's the image of New York that the media has portrayed. Uh, But every random scene with him encountering, you know, there's, there are scenes of him interacting with the people of New York as both Spidey and Peter Parker. And, and that really fleshes out the world he lives in, uh, which I enjoy. Um, it, the, the, the first movie, uh, did the same thing. It started the trend with the, the montage because yep. you get, you know, the, you get the, uh, uh, the, the, the musician in the subway, you get the great cameo in the, in the first movie from, uh, uh, crap. I can't remember her name right now. Xena. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Lucy Lawless. Lucy, Lucy Lawless. Thank you. Lucy Lawless as the, the punk rocker. Um, and of course, it just carries over to this movie. And you were you were talking about the the landlord who let us not forget his name is is Mister Ditka Vich. No, no, his name is Rent. Huh? His name is Rent. Oh, okay, it's, it's a joke, Scott. Oh, um, but um, I mean, I thought his name was a play off of the Marvel editor. No, his name is Rent. Okay, pretty pretty sure it's not. 
Rent. Okay. Can I spend okay. it? <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, I, I love uh, uh, I love New York, and as New York as a character, and and fleshing out the the city in this movie. Let us not forget that this is the movie that that gave New York an elevated train. Yes, and and made a lot of people believe that uh, New York has an elevated train when New York does not have an elevated train. <laughs> I thought in the movie it has to be real. <laughs> yeah, it's it's not good. Um, but it did get an elevated train in the comics after this movie came out. Uh, so. Yeah, it did retcon Marvel's New York somewhat. Um, also, uh, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna branch off of uh, this real quick uh, because I, I think it it directly relates to New York's presentation in this movie. Okay. As one of my uh, uh, my favorite video games of all time was the Spider-Man Two video game. It's a great game because they used actual maps of New York for the maps in um, in the game. And they were so well done and so well laid out that uh, around the time that I was playing the game, and I forget who it was, but a friend of mine uh, was showing me pictures of her trip to New York. Uh-huh. And uh, um, yeah, I was like, oh, yeah. She's like, would you like to see my pictures? She had just gotten back. So like, yeah, sure. I said, I've always wanted to go to New York, never been. And uh, so she was showing me these pictures, and she's like, "So you know, our, here here's our hotel. This is where we were, and this is our. Uh, there was this this cafe that we went, which was like a block up from us. It's like, oh yeah, I know where this is at. This is such and such street. Uh, if you go down like two blocks to your right here is Times Square. And she's like, I thought you said you'd never been to New York. I said, I haven't, but I've web swung past that place like eight hundred <laughs> times. <laughs> so I, I I could actually pick out locations from actual pictures of New York." Based on those maps in that game, it was so well done. Nice. So, yeah. No, love New York in this movie. Well, this trilogy, actually. Yeah. Um, Moving on, moving on. Um, Something else I really appreciate about this film and, and this trilogy as a whole is we never lose sight of Peter. Uh, his character in this movie is straight from the comics. Even though he's a superhero uh, and has, can do all these great, amazing things, his biggest problems are still real-world problems. <laughs> Work, delivering pizza. Uh, uh, you know, he, he's he's struggling to get money. Lives in a crappy apartment. He's falling behind in school. He's he's can't doesn't have time to hang out with the girl he likes. Like all his his problems. And in the first half of this movie, really spends a lot of time on that which I'm about to get to uh, is very much just like, yeah, he can do great, amazing things, but he's still a normal guy. And he still has real world problems. He's, he's not Tony Stark. His problem isn't, uh, I pissed off a terrorist uh, who's going to come at me now. I better, you know, put on one of my billion dollar suits of armor. Um, and there's going to be a lot of me throwing shade at the MCU and just warning you now. Uh, <laughs> but it's, it's, he's, he's a guy who lives in, yeah, it might be, exaggerated version of the real world slightly, but it's still the real world and he still has real world problems and he's still relatable and and a common guy, which I really, really enjoy. Um, Just because it's, it's so much, it's the character of Peter Parker. Yeah. He's got to go fight Vulture and 
deal with uh, Green Goblin, but also like I didn't pay rent this month. Um, I, I'm yeah. behind on that bonus JJ gave me. Uh, I've got assignments like, too. Yeah, yeah, I got a paper due last week. Uh, I haven't started yet. Like he still has, you know, he's still a normal guy with real world problems. Um, yeah, I was actually uh, uh, chatting with a buddy of mine this morning about about this movie. Um, and this movie is not one of his favorites. Um, he likes it. Don't be wrong. He, he doesn't uh-huh. say it's bad, but he he liked the first one better because, and he pointed this out. Uh, when he was first introduced uh, to the character of Spider-Man, it was uh, from uh, a collect- his, his father's collection of comics, which actually started. Uh, he had number one through 67, I think, something like that, whatever it was. Uh, so it was very much, he was very well steeped in the, the high school era of, of Peter Parker. Okay. Um, which this movie doesn't really cover cause he's in college, yeah. of course, but he still has the problems, you know, and he, he still, they still try to do that aspect. But when it comes to the character arc of, of Peter, of course, the, the primary inspiration, um, for this movie, the source material was Spider-Man no more, which is a right. A great story. It's an iconic story. Now, uh, we get that uh, homage to the cover where he throws the suit away in the trash can. You know, framed Get beautifully. Way ahead of me now. Um. Okay. Uh, Keep going. You're fine. Oh. You're fine. Uh. We, we. You know. We. We get that. You know. Sam Raimi. Uh. uh does that. Uh, that shot beautifully. Uh, in in this movie, uh, and it has actually become one of the the most parodied or copied um, comic covers in, in in comic history. It's been done everywhere. Uh, I mean, I think Green Arrow did it at one point. Um, I'm trying to think uh, who else has done it, but I, I looked it up the other day, and there was like 15 or 20 different comic panels and covers from uh, many other comics which have have taken yep. that Spider-Man no more cover um and 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 uh copied it um the yeah it was it's it's just this, this whole movie is the the character arc of Peter that he goes through uh in this movie is it's it's a great character arc and yeah, it's just it's straight up from that story throughout the movie and what I love about the first two, especially a little less with the third one. We'll get into that. You can tell the people making it are genuine fans of Spider-Man and Sam Raimi grew up a huge fan of Spider-Man, particularly the original sixties Spider-Man stuff, mm-hmm. which is why this whole movie kind of has that silver age Spider-Man feel to it for the most part. Yeah. Uh, it, you don't get a shot like that without someone who loves the source material to the point that they painstakingly recreate a panel from the comic as a shot in the movie. And not just like a quick shot, but like we linger on that shot as it walks away. We and do. then even as it fades out, the eyes of the costume stay on screen for a little bit. Like Yes. That like was the- a yeah, that that shot was a labor of love. The way the suit's coming out of the trash can, like every yeah. detail is spot on on that. It is. It's it's beautiful. Um, yeah, and that's it, that's fan service. It's done right. That's not. Hey, we put this in here for you nerds. Like 
like in uh, no. the Wolverine, the second uh, one, where at the end he opens up a briefcase and it's his his yellow costume that we never yeah. talk about again. Like that's fan service for like, hey, look, we put our in there. <laughs> Shut up now. This fan service is like, I'm a fan and I've always wanted to see this, so we're gonna do this because yep. I'm in charge now. Uh, yeah. and that runs throughout the movie. Yeah, uh, and and uh, if I'm if as uh, sorry, uh-huh. words. Words, words are hard. <laughs> if I if I'm thinking about it, um, I believe that shot ends Act One, doesn't it? Pretty much. I mean, literally, um, we we that, close Act One with that shot and that fade out. Which is a great segue to what I was going to bring up. Is what I love about this film is throughout through all of Act One, we're there to establish basically one thing, and that is what being Spider Man is costing Peter Parker. And it is a great character motivation. The entire first 30 minutes, at least, to this movie is is what Peter has to give up because he's Spider-Man. He hmm. doesn't get to see MJ's play. He doesn't get to hang out with MJ. He doesn't get to... Um, it's, it's driving a wedge between him and his best friend, Harry, because Harry blames Spider-Man for the death of his father. Aunt May uh, gives that whole thing about his birthday, about, you know, if I were to face the man responsible for Ben's death, which is the guilt of Ben's death still weighing over him. Uh, literally, we see that, which is such a refreshing take. And again, I know I'm coming at this weird. I'm going to throw some shade on the MCU. Which it's not to say that the MCU displays everyone as having a good time being a superhero, but they do definitely have the, hey, it's fun to be a superhero stuff. Um, and this movie does too, but it's really, it's like, yeah, I've got a cool suit and superpowers, but this sucks. Like, I can't get anything together. And, and, and his whole life is basically spiraling out of control because he's made this choice to do the right thing and to be Spider-Man. And finally... Mm-hmm. At the end of Act One, we come to what we just talked about the okay. I'm done. I'm yeah. done being Spider-Man. Well, this movie, when it comes to that, that's one of the other reasons why I love this movie. As and I say, it's the best Spider-Man movie. Is because every other Spider-Man movie, of course, including the first one in this trilogy, because it, it's a staple that needs to happen, tells you through a line. You know, you got the line with great power comes great responsibility. This movie shows you. Yes. With great power comes great responsibility. And it also the, says the line, which every other Spider-Man is fucking afraid to say the words with great power comes great responsibility because we keep paraphrasing it in dumber and dumber ways. <laughs> I'm going to have a rant about this, goddammit. <laughs> Go for it. It is the line that is synonymous with Spider-Man, I say in, in due part, because of this movie series. Because of this franchise. The line was there before this, but the, this these movies put it front and center. The Andrew Garfield movie says it without flat out saying verbatim with power comes great responsibility. They have this weird backwards thing about uh, uh, helping people or I forget what it is. And then in, (laughs) in, in fucking civil war, when we see Spider-Man and he's, he's talking, uh, Peter's talking to Tony. He doesn't just fucking say, well, great. Well, because if you can do a thing and you don't do a thing and the bad thing happens, then it's true. Just fucking say it. We know what you're trying to say. Just say it. (laughs) Stop trying to rewrite the greatest line in comic book history. It's right up there with, it's a bird, it's a plane, it's Superman. Or, or I am vengeance, I am the night, I am Batman. It's with great power comes great responsibility. It is the ethos of Spider-Man. It is what defines the character. Stop being afraid to say it. Does, does, does Sony 
have a copyright on that line or something? Is there some reason we're contractually obligated not to just say it? Just fucking say it. If every Batman movie with the new Batman can work in a way to have the new the, the new actor say, I am Batman, you can say the line. Sorry. Yeah. I'm going to calm yeah. down now. Yeah. Hey, we love our rants here. You know that. <sighs> it's all right. This is a safe place. Uh, that pisses me off. Just fucking say it. Stop trying to rewrite it. Stop trying to paraphrase it. Just fucking say it. Yeah, we know what you're getting at. We know yeah. what's coming. It's it's yeah. like it's it's, it's like it's James clear. Bond. Bond, James Bond. We yeah, know exactly. what's coming. Yeah, shaken, not uh, stirred. We get it. We know. Yeah. You know, okay. it's not like you have a new Bond that says, "Hey, give me that drink and and do the up and down thing, not the round and round thing." You know. Um, uh, but no, th- this movie because you know the first one says it. You know the first one has the line. This movie not uh, only has the line, but this movie does something I don't think anybody else really does, and that is like 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 I said, it it shows us yes what that means, and it does a very yes. good job of showing us what that means. Um, and another thing that this movie I think does really well is that that in this that this whole act one and this this progression. Of um, uh, of of uh, Peter, I'm going to go back to what you said about uh, uh, when he still feels the guilt of of Uncle, Uncle Ben's ben. death, and you get that you get those lines coming from Aunt May. Aunt May is not there in this movie just to be there. She she has a she has a plot structure point. Yeah, and the the plot structure point is to remind us of Peter's motivation without rehashing the origin. Yep. And it does it very well. It doesn't throw the origin back in our face. Like, you know, I don't know, uh, Batman. Hey, look, here's where he came from. Yeah, we fucking know. <laughs> Do you um, know his parents died in an alley? <laughs> yeah. No? Should we show you that again? Yeah, let's see it again. Let's, oh, that's why he does it. Okay. Yeah, I'd forgotten. <laughs> you know, so we don't we don't really see that happen again. But but Aunt May is there to give us this dynamic and to give us this internal conflict with Peter to remind us what his motivations are. We never lose that. But we do it in a really great way without just reshowing it. She also and, has another arc that I'm going to get to in a minute. Uh, it's, again, I'm going chronologically through my notes and we haven't gotten to the, the big payoff yet. But uh, no, it, it, she's it played fantastically by Rosemary Harris. She's, she's the when you see her on screen, you instantly like, you like the character. You want to make the character happy. Uh, you know, when she gives Peter the $20 and you know, don't, don't you take this money. It's not much. And don't you dare leave it here for me. Like, yes. It's a great played scene. Yes. Too. Yeah. She's great. She's like everyone's grandma instantly. Like, I'm sorry, grandma. I'll take it. Uh, <laughs> another big thing I have to give this, not only just this movie, but this entire franchise kudos for, even if the, if the stories get weird and wonky, there's one thing throughout these three movies that they have nailed, and I say I don't think anyone's done better, even with the dated CGI. The web-slinging in this movie is fantastic. It is. It's beautiful. Even when it's used as like a random transition shot, or like literally we cut from one scene to another by a shot of Peter web-slinging through the city, the angles, the camera movement, the poses they put Spider-Man in as he's you know transitioning and moving, it's fantastic and it's one of the biggest things i miss from the current mcu spider-man movies is we've yep. yet to just let him web sling through a city yeah well i mean you get those because because that's, that's another thing that i think 
uh, you know, Raimi does with this when he's web swinging. It's not, he, he's not a blur going nope. through, you know, when he gets in these poses, he's at the, uh, um, uh, he, he's at the apogee of the swing, uh, or the perigee of the swing, whichever one he needs to be. And, uh, um, it, it, he doesn't, it doesn't pause, but the way it's shot, he's center frame, you know, and he's right there long enough for you to see, you know, almost like a still comic book panel. I mean, it's in motion, of course, but it's, I, I don't know the way, I don't know how he does it. No, no, it's, it's, we, we, you're right. It's not, we, we, we follow the character and we hold on the character when he's in frame and he's centered. And, and Sam Raimi specifically gave the animators poses from the comics to put Spider-Man in during those moments. Yeah. Uh, when, when he's transitioning from one web to the other, like they were specifically like, have him hit these marks. When he's, when he's center at top of the swing framed in the shot, have him hit this pose. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because again, this is a movie made by a guy who loves Spider-Man. Yeah. And his attention to detail is not lost. Love, love his web swinging in this movie. Uh, and throughout just... the movie, throughout, honestly, throughout all three, uh, all three Raimi movies, web swinging is fantastic. Um, and it only gets better because the technology gets better. Uh, but the, the, the balls out movements he puts the camera through, uh, it's fantastic. It's great. I, I'd love to see more of that in, in current Spider-Man movies. Uh, but speaking of Sam Raimi, let's talk about the scene where Sam goes full on evil dead Sam Raimi. Well, uh, before we get to that. Okay. Okay. We're going to back up. We're going to back up because the, the, the scenes where, you know, Alfred Molina as Otto Octavius is introduced. Uh-huh. I think are some great scenes. Yeah. Cause we get to see, cause there's something that this movie addresses that no other movie has addressed that no other, I don't think has ever really been addressed in the comics because it doesn't need to be addressed in the comics. There, there are things that happen in comics that we just accept and we're fine. But when you bring them into, um, the live action, they may not play well, or they, there may be questions that are asked that you don't ask in comics. Okay. And this movie does bring up one and it is a really, really good job of, of, uh, of addressing it. And it addresses it almost not quite, but almost with a throwaway line. Okay. Um, and that is, so we have Alfred Molina as Otto Octavius and we bring him in and, and Peter is sitting down somewhat interviewing him. I guess you could call it, you know, cause he, he has lunch and, and, right. and team with him and his wife uh, and everything. And we established this, that these two characters have a lot in common that, that he's a, he's a scientist first and foremost. He's a pillar of the community. He's like, he's a learned colleague of, you know, the, the academic world. Mm-hmm. He, he's not, he's not a nut job. He's not back alley. He's, he's front and center. He's, he's, he's world stage class stuff. And that is how does someone of this caliber, this background become a villain? How does he, how does he go from this to, to robbing banks and kidnapping and all the nasty stuff that we know Doc Ock does? 
And so you have that that scene where you've got, you know, Peter Parker's relationship with Otto Octavius is, is cemented in that opening scene where we first meet Otto. And then you have his experiment, which uh-huh. that whole scene is great, and the experiment goes wrong, and and Pete comes in as you know Spidey comes in uh, and saves the day, and uh, you get his wife dying, you get you know Spider Man ruining his his experiment and his big chance and everything, so that sets up that conflict. But it's the 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 arms, the inhibitor chip, the inhibitor chip. And the technology behind the arms that, you know, um, is, affects his, his higher brain functions without that. And once again, it's almost a little bit of a throwaway line. Cause if, cause if you're not paying attention, you can miss that. But that, that's one thing I also love about the, the storytelling of this movie is that there, there's no real major that i'm aware of plot holes yeah there's, I, there's a couple things you have to take leaps of faith but oh well, yeah it's a spider-man movie it's a spider-man movie uh but, i i have a little bit of a gripe with the inhibitor chip but i'll get to that later okay because I, I think they set up great motivation for the character without needing the inhibitor chip but we'll get to that yes motivation for the character but even if even if a, a, a someone of of octavius's you know, if if you didn't have that, I don't think they would move. They would make that transition to criminal activity and murder and and everything else like that. Yeah, they well, would be despondent. They would hate the people involved. He may hate Spider Man, but I don't see him going out and becoming a supervillain. So okay, we'll jump into it. So I wrote down Alfred Molina kills it, and then I have some sub points. Um, the slow dissolve of him from hero to villain is fantastic to watch. Mm-hmm. Uh, even though it only happens in a couple scenes, uh, but they give him fantastic, relatable, understandable motivations, and yes. that is it's summed up in one line: "The real crime would to be not to finish what I started." And honestly, kind of have to agree with them. If he's working on a perpetual energy machine, yeah, that's kind of worth robbing a few banks because that's <laughs> the thing. Like honestly, he he doesn't do anything in this movie that's that terrible. Um, some people get hurt during the, the, the hospital scene, which you won't let me talk about yet. Um, but that isn't him. That's the arms. Cause the arms have an intelligence of their own. Cause when he wakes up and sees what happens, he's distraught. Um, yes. so then he runs off. And then once he teams up with the AI of the arms, he robs a couple banks. He kidnaps Mary Jane, uh, and he rebuilds his machine in a really weird, broken down dock and that's about all he does uh so he's not out there like committing mass genocide or anything his 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 motivation is finish his work it didn't okay the experiment didn't go right what did i do wrong let's fix it let's get this to work we can make this work we can make this happen it's it's about him this has cost me so much if i don't finish it it was all for nothing i've got to finish it to redeem myself so first of all you know what does he do that's so bad? I mean, literally, he 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 takes an old woman and throws her off of a building. She's he, fine. Spider-Man caught her. Move well, on. Yes, but his, that was not his intention. <laughs> she could have no, died. Yeah, exactly. If Spider-Man but, okay. hadn't gotten in the way, okay. nobody would have gotten hurt. Okay, so so it's okay for me to go out here and start chucking knives at people as long as I know there's somebody there to stop the knives. 
No, no, no. If Spider-Man hadn't gotten in the way, Scott, nobody would have gotten hurt. It's Spider-Man's <laughs> fault anyone got kidnapped or hurt in the first place. He would have been in and out of that bank in a few minutes. Nobody would've, everyone would have been fine. The bank's insured. It would have been fine. But that uh-huh. freaking Spider-Man menace had to get in the way. <laughs> that Spider-Man had to get in the way <laughs> of okay, a perfectly yeah. respectable scientist like Otto Octavius. Oh, okay. Uh, but no, like... <laughs> Yes, he kidnaps Aunt May to get away from the cops. I'm not saying he doesn't well, do anything it, bad. I'm just saying, yeah. in the scope of things supervillains have done in movies, he doesn't really do anything that terrible. Well, yeah, when you compare it he, against Thanos, yeah, yeah, maybe it's not that he, great. It's he funny. kidnaps uh, Mary Jane. Okay, that's prerequisite for any Spider-Man movie. Oh, you're the villain? Okay, so at some point in the third act, you have to kidnap Mary Jane. That's in the contract. Sorry, every movie it has to get done. Sorry. Um, But, yeah, I mean... His motivations, yes, uh, they completely set up his motivations, but it's the the whole subtext, not subtext, not even subtext, because it's right there. Um, it, it's the whole story arc, not arc, uh, plot element. There you go, of the inhibitor chip and the AI and the arms that makes him lose the rational part of his mind. I and don't he begins, think and he goes I, full criminal. I don't think you need that. I really don't. Like, I, I think it's just there to explain why is he talking to his arms? Because uh, honestly, him again, they give him enough um, motivation of, of everything in my life is gone now. So what's left for me to hold on to finishing this experiment, this experiment yes. can work like it, yes. everything that tied him to society is gone now. So he's on the fringes on his own. I, I don't yes. again, the inhibitor chip is cool, but I don't I think they give him enough uh, um, motivation and, and credibility. Because it'll give him credit for this. Like he sticks to his motivation is to finish my experiment. So anytime he fights with Spider-Man, it's because he's it, it's, it's Spider-Man's in his way to finishing his goal. Like when he kidnaps Spidey and, and and gives him to uh, Harry, and Harry's about to unmask him, he he fucks off. He doesn't give a shit about Spider-Man or who he is or Harry's beef with him. He just wants the the whatever it's called the unobtainium for his experiment. He doesn't care about Spider-Man. He cares about finishing his experiment like yeah. I, he's got enough of a drive i don't think you need the inhibitor chip. I, I i get that but at the same time if you took you know any real life scientist of his caliber who has their their life's work derailed to that extent um you know and everything yeah they're gonna be mad and they're going to want to finish their work but you know what they're gonna do they're going to apply for grants they're gonna find funding their first thought isn't hey let's go out and rob a bank well, they didn't have the scene that I want to talk about finally, which okay, is the scene for- where Sam Raimi gets to go full Sam Raimi. Which is a <laughs> great scene. Let's yes, when they're it. trying to remove the arms from Otto and they realize the sentient and the arms themselves take out the entire hospital crew and it is a full-on Evil Dead horror movie it Sam is. Raimi, complete with, I fucking love this, the surgical chainsaw. Love the surgical chainsaw. <laughs> this shiny stainless steel <laughs> surgical chainsaw that I'm sure every surgical office has because it's a real thing. It's not just there because it's a Sam Raimi movie. Well, well, they only bring it out when they have to cut, you know, uh, tentacles off of people, right. mechanical right. arms and stuff. That's it's, that's its only application. <laughs> no, I, everything like the scene where the it drags the lady, her fingernails uh, uh, peel oh, up yeah. the the floor. Paint, yeah, the the quick cuts, the screaming, this fast zooms, like it's just full out. Sam. Yeah, 
Sam Raimi and Sam Raimi, and I love it. Yeah, full on um, Evil Dead. Not just because of the way it's shot, though, uh, because of what it does for the character. Again, he's unconscious. Yes. The arms are doing it. When he wakes up and sees what's yes. happened, he is horrified. Yes. And he runs out of the hospital. And the first thing that happens when he gets yes. out of the hospital is yes. the cops come at him. They don't know, they don't know what's exactly. going on. So the reason he can't apply for a grant is they think he murdered the surgical team. No, no. no hang on. No, no. So okay. first of all, I, I agree. You're right. The cops start chasing him. He has to run. It, it puts him It puts him on the outs and everything like that. It does. I, I'm going to disagree with you that the arms are sentient. Okay. The arms aren't sentient. Okay. The arms are, they're not really alive. They're a representation of his of his subconscious. They're being controlled by him, but in a weird way. But they are a character of their own. That's another thing that I love about this movie. Doesn't he say in the experiment the arms are have their own intelligence? The, the artificial intelligence. The yeah. Yes, so it doesn't override his, but it's still not sentient. Okay. Artificial intelligence is not sentience. There's, there's distinctions there. But they are their own character, and and they do have their 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 thing. But you know, he wants to do the right thing, and then when he's quote unquote talking to the arms, and they convince him that yes, the correct thing, the the real tragedy would not be continuing the work. That's him losing that rational part of his mind, and making that that transition from normal happy respected scientist who would not you know try to kill people to someone who's not rational not thinking clearly and be rational and 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 try to kill people to achieve a goal because he thinks it's his only way because of the inhibitor chip the the ai because of the arms and the technology involved we get that explanation and that's why i love it all right well, we we're literally debating why we love same character, <laughs> so we're gonna move on. <laughs> Alpha Merlin is awesome, and whatever part of his motivation you think is better, uh, it's fantastic throughout. Uh, I also yeah. have a quick note of <laughs> they're trying to name Doctor, uh, <laughs> trying to name Doc Ock, and they go, "Yes, <laughs> Doctor Grant, great, ah, it's taken, ah, it's taken." <laughs> uh, that was just fun. Uh, oh, okay, here we go. My first. This is really terrible. Throughout the film, and I finally had to write down about it. Um, except for like one scene in the third act, Harry Osborne is fucking terrible throughout this entire movie. He is the most singular minded, one note, hammy acted, terrible fucking character throughout this whole movie. At any time Harry's in a scene, here's it You killed my father, I don't like you. Give him up to me. You're not my best friend. <laughs> Repeat. Repeat, repeat, and then then there's the one like he just he's and I don't blame the actor, but he's given such hammy dialogue, such ham fisted exposition. Uh, the scene where he introduces Peter to Otto is just like, why were you here? Literally, he said, yeah, yeah, but you need yeah. money, you need Oscorp. We don't. What you already told us, you're funding his experiment. Why do we need you to to blurt that out? Like it's just. And again, I do not blame the actor. I don't blame James Franco. It's just the writing for this character was so fucking terrible. Yeah, uh, he couldn't uh, rise above it. I, I agree. Uh, his his there is no story arc with this character at all because he he's literally well, in the exact same place at the end of the movie. There uh, there and, is, but you don't get until the next movie. Like he's just stalling uh, for time in this movie. Yeah, I I can't stand 
what happens to him in the in the third movie because of okay. reasons. But um, literally, you could have taken him out of this movie um, and had um, uh, uh, <laughs> Scorpion. I can't remember the the the, the, the actual doctor Doctor Connor Gargan. No, not Scorpion. Sorry, Lizard. Um, Dr. Connors. Oh, Dr. Connors. Yeah, that would have been yeah. great. Yeah. Because he Dr. even says he's a friend of mine. Exactly. You could have just had Dr. Connors introduce him to Octavius or something. Even had Otto show up at school while, you know, yeah. Peter was talking to, to Connors. And that's how they get into something. You don't need Harry in this movie. Uh, you can pretty much strip him out. Um and, and everything. Or at least reduce the role so that, again, he does a good job of getting you here's the mindset I'm in, here's what's happened with Harry since the last movie, he's mad at Spider-Man, he's mad at Peter for recovering for Spider-Man. Uh, okay, cool, but we don't need that to be reiterated four times. That's, that's like true. Every scene he's in, except for the ones where he's just there to introduce them and then runs off again, Like that's he just, he just keeps reiterating the same information. It's like, yeah, we get it, we get it, we got it the first time, yeah. we get it. So like, I like how they they end up tying their villains together at the end, where they you know he makes a deal with Harry to get you know I'll give you Spider Man, you give me the unobtainium. <laughs> okay, cool. It's always good when you can connect your villains like that. But again, we we could have cut out at least two or three scenes of Harry and and wouldn't have lost we, anything because he's just there to keep repeating information. Could've. Uh, yeah, because literally he like the character is almost in a in a holding pattern through this movie uh, until the very end, and that just sets yeah. up. Which is there, yeah. It's just there to set up the next movie. Yeah, which is, and that's the only, that's the only reason, really. Um, you could have done other thing. You could have done his plot points other ways if you really wanted to, or like you said, you know, reduced him to just the bare minimum of what he needed to be. Yep. But uh, uh, yeah, James Franco really is, uh, and once again, like you said, I'm not, you know, nothing against the actor. He just he he played what he, he was given. He's given um, nothing to work with. He's yeah. given nothing. Yeah. Um. But it really is the weakest part of this movie. The, the scene after the Octavius experiment goes wrong, and he's just standing out on the street with all the survivors, and he just goes, "I'm ruined." Like, who are you talking to? Like, what's what? What motivated you to say any of that? What's what? What? Who? It's exposition. Yeah. He's, <laughs> yeah, he's that's all he's there for. He's voicing to the audience. Yep. Um. But that gets us to all that gets us to one of my favorite scenes, which is the I'm going to call it a dream sequence um, with him and Uncle Ben. They're back in the car wearing the mm-hmm. same outfits from the first movie. It's the last time he sees Uncle Ben, but they're obviously mm-hmm. having a different discussion. I yeah. love the fact that to Peter now, Uncle Ben is his sense of morality. And when he's struggling with this decision, decision to give up being Spider-Man, it's him debating with uncle ben not him fighting with himself because there's you know tons of ways you could you could have gone like all superman three and have you know peter parker fighting spider-man um but they didn't it's just it's ben is his sense of morality ben is his moral center and he's having to square this decision with uncle ben and it gives us an awesome opportunity to see uncle ben again uh inside the the chevy nova um (laughs) surrounded by white light which i'm like perfect i love it Chevy Nova? Bossa Nova? Wait, <laughs> what movie are we talking about? Sorry. Yeah, whatever the Sam Raimi car is, I forget what kind of car it is. Uh, you know, I always forget too. The one that's in every movie, including this, which I'm going to get to in a 
minute because it has a weird cameo. Um, but I love that dream sequence, uh, which gets us into the Spider-Man No More part. Um, yeah. Going through my notes. Uh, the Mary Jane engagement thing felt a little unnecessary. Uh, I get you're trying to show like, because like, it gets us some great J. Jonah Jameson. It does. Um, and it gets us one of my favorite, I think, accidental funny lines from this movie, which is, yeah. you can't get off if you don't get on. <laughs> oh, the implications. Mary this Jane. is very true. Um, very true. I don't think that was even even the first time I watched the movie in a theater. I distinctly remember the entire theater giggling at that line. Um, He's not wrong. <laughs> she's not wrong. But it's the the whole because the, the character of John Jameson is is hand fisted into it. Never really gets. He's he's not a character. He's a plot point, uh, which and, is and, sad to see. And I'm I'm pretty sure he was only he was only included in this because Sam Raimi wanted to set up. The, the proper introduction of the symbiote going into his third movie? Uh, no. Uh, no. Sam Raimi never wanted anything to do with the symbiote. Sam Raimi doesn't, didn't understand Venom. Didn't like Venom came in in the eighties and he was done reading the comics by then. Sam Raimi didn't want to do anything with Venom. Ever. Anything okay. involving Venom is a studio note. Ah. Um, I'll get into Spider-Man three shit for that, but no, uh, he was there because that's okay. a, a, again, to his credit, cool. that's how the character is written because in the comics, he was an astronaut, and yeah. he finds a moonstone and becomes uh-huh. a werewolf. And we didn't quite get to that in this movie, but like, as weird as some of those things are, no, that's just how the character was in the '60s, and that's exactly how Sam Raimi did him. Okay, as uh, little sense as it made in the comics, it makes that much little sense in the movie. <laughs> but that's what the comics did. So here we go. I know. I think the the symbiote thing would have made a lot of sense. But they apparently forgot. They forgot they introduced an astronaut related to J. Jonah Jameson. One movie yeah, later, yeah, exactly. You you get to Spider Man Three, and it's like there, there's there's no John, there's yeah. no astronaut, and the the symbiote literally just crashes to Earth in a meteorite. Which again goes to how useless the character of John Jameson is in this movie because he's not a character; he's a plot point. Um, he is. But it gives us that great line, uh, which might be the episode title: "You can't get off if you don't get on." Can't get off if you don't get on. Um, um, now I yeah. do like in, in that in that scene you you, you did you, you you do get a lot of good Jay Jonah, um, you know because literally he's just dragging his wife from photo op to photo yeah. op <laughs> and <laughs> throughout and, and and my favorite one is is the only time in the movie that you see JJ do a tonal shift. He's still in the character of JJ, but he's not normal. JJ is, he's like, come over here. Let's get a picture of the mayor and his girlfriend. Eh, wife. wife. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Love that whole thing. It's fantastic. Uh, it's just great. Moving oh, through. and uh, Sam okay. Raimi's car is a 1973 Oldsmobile, De- Oldsmobile Delta. Delta 88. That's right. Yeah, yeah, the Delta 88, uh, the Delta which 88. gets a weird cameo. I'm just going to jump to it. So the scene where Spider-Man goes and, and Aunt May is moving out of the house, Aunt May again, and we see in the garage, the Delta is still sitting in the garage. Yep. Yes, it is. The, the Delta that was the scene of the crime of Ben's murder and and was stolen by Sandman, we'll come to find out later. How did she get the car back? Well, 
Did they uh, just go out and buy a second Delta? How was it still there? No, no, no. They would have. Uh, she would have gotten it back once uh, the police were done with it. Was it ever recovered? Yeah, it was stolen. It was mugged. It was carjacked. Obviously, it was recovered. It's in the garage. Ah, did, did you see? It didn't it? make sense I mean, to me. Did not make sense did, to me. Did, did you see? It's in the garage. That and okay, fine. The cops recovered it. And they, do you want this back? Oh, do you want the car your husband was? No, I'm good. You can keep well, it. The, the cops won't keep it. The, yes, because... they will. They'll auction it off. That's what the cops do. No, they'll put no, it in the no, lockup no, and then no, they'll auction no. shit off. But if it isn't claimed, yeah. If it's not claimed, when I, no, it doesn't matter. That's only for for forfeiture of assets. This isn't a forfeiture of asset. They will return it to the owner. She has no choice. She can sell it later if she wants to. The cops aren't going to get rid of it because it's not car theirs. being in the garage is wrong, and you know it, and it's just there so we can say that, yes, every movie has the Delta. Uh, even though it already does because there's a scene in the flashback with the scene in the Delta, but whatever. That bugged me. <laughs> it bugged me so much I made a note about it. All righty. <laughs> uh, See, so yeah, I talked about tying its villains together nicely. Um, yeah, did a good job. Which is always good. That's I call that the Robocop rule. Whenever you can tie your villains together, it's better. Uh, and okay, two big things we haven't talked about yet that I think put this movie over the edge. And, and the first one is the Aunt May speech. Um, after she's, and again, I talked about Aunt May has kind of a secondary arc that I, I see in this movie, which is she starts the movie not a fan of Spider Man, and and very upset over the death of Ben. And by the the end of the film. She's moving out of the house. She's moving on with her life. She's given up whatever anger or hatred she might have. You know, she goes from saying the, I think about what I would do if I met the man responsible to it's water under the bridge. Um, Cause in the meantime, she's also been saved by Spider-Man and, and hearing Peter's confession to I'm the reason uncle Ben got killed. Uh, that scene where where he, yep. he confesses what happened and she's too distraught to say anything to him. Those things all put together deliver us to this amazing speech. Uh, and I'm going to paraphrase my favorite line where she's she's basically talking him back into like, yeah, that Spider-Man isn't around anymore. Hint, hint, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Uh, mm-hmm. I believe there's a hero in all of us that keeps us honest, gives us strength, makes us noble. This entire speech is Aunt May confessing to Peter I know. I agree completely. I know and get back to work. Yeah. Every time, every time I see this, every time I watch this movie, I see that line. That's exactly what I get out of it as well. And I I don't think it's an accident. I don't know. It's quite blatantly architectured or designed into it. That's entirely what it's for. And it it does it very well. It's, It's, it's our trigger point for him to take the suit back. Yes, and it, I I love that scene. Uh, I love the coming together of of again. Or she starts the movie very much living in that house. Still has the Delta in the garage. Uh, <laughs> you know, just, it, 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 she's very much stuck, and, and and understandably, she's lost the love of her life, uh, and her world is turned upside down. Uh, but by the end of this movie, we see her taking charge of her life and moving on with it. And, and, you know, it's like, she even says like, yeah, the bank gave me a few more weeks to make the payments, but we're, just, we're moving out. Yeah. Um, uh, moving on, closing that chapter of my life. And you uh, should too, Peter. And yep. you should also go get your suit back. Um, I'm going to go live in the home now. I'll yeah. have fun. Which then eventually leads us to uh, the crown jewel 
on this movie, uh, the 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 first and biggest and hardest to argue against uh, detail for why this is the best Spider-Man movie ever. You know where I'm going. The train fight. God, that train fight. You know, it is still the best Spider-Man fight on screen. It is in any Completely. movie, and it it it. This is one of the main reasons why I I love this movie, and I love Sam Raimi and the way he did this movie. It's because this movie has great and beautiful shot composure and 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 everything throughout. But when we get to this train fight, and, and we see it a, a bit earlier too in the 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 bank fight, uh, not yeah. as much as the train fight, but in the bank fight, is that Sam Raimi and why nobody else does this, I don't know. But we get long shots and we get yes. wide shots uh, of the fight. It's not all close up in your face, and it's beautiful. It this fight moves. It starts on on. Uh, uh the clock tower and moves to the top of the train, the side of the train, off the train, the interior. Of the train. Uh, it, it, they're moving all over the place. You see Doc Ock and, and again, Spidey is a character who has, you know, fantastic agility and moves quickly. So when you're giving him a villain to fight against, you, you got to give Spider-Man uh, lots of plates to wiggle, mm-hmm. uh, plates to keep in the air. And that's what Doc Ock is great at it. Cause eight limbs there, no matter what's going on during the fight, Akka's throwing a punch or a kick or something at Spidey's way, and he's got to keep moving. And that's what makes for this fight so great, is, is they get enough space to move around, but it's an interesting uh, setting. It's not just like, oh, we're in like a big warehouse. Uh, like, we're on a moving train. Mm-hmm. And it transitions from fight the bad guy, beat the bad guy up, which is fun to see. We all love that. Mm-hmm. Uh, like you said, lots of wide shots. You, you're never confused as to where you are or what's happening. You know yep. exactly where you are. You know what's going on. You know he gets knocked off the train, gets back on the train. You you you're never in a sense of wait, well, where am I now? What happened? Uh, yeah. Very nope. very fluid. And then it ends and transitions from beat up the bad guy to save everyone. To save it, everyone. It, it gives us ah. a moment that I think is on par with the Christopher Reeve's uh, helicopter catch in the first Superman movie. Mm-hmm. I think as iconic superhero moment spider-man stopping the train well you know when he when he when he goes to stop the train that's the the first thing he tries is the superman thing he yep. jumps down in front <laughs> he's strong but he's not quite that strong and and he jumps back up and the guy's like any other bright ideas you got a few <laughs> uh you know, and, and I've in- come around. I, I used to get mad at the fact that they took his mask off for this scene, but looking at it now as an older guy, like, no, he has to have his. Like, if you don't see his face during that scene, mm-hmm. it loses mm-hmm. so much. It's the the and again, I love it because <clears throat> it's set up so great. Like you said, the the first thing he does is the Superman thing because the audience is saying, "Let's do the Superman thing." Like yeah. we've seen Superman catch and stop trains all the time. Just do that. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah, yeah, it's not going to work here. Well. Um. Yeah, but like like you say, with with the mask on, you don't see that that raw determination. Yeah, that that and he has to stop this train. Um, I'm gonna throw a shade at the MCU again because the MCU tries to homage this scene. We see they, him with the holding back the train, trying to slow it down, and in in Spider-Man: Homecoming, we see him with the webs trying to hold the train together, and they leave the mask on. 
And I think that 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 right there is a perfect example of why he has his mask off in this scene. Is you've yeah. got to see his face, see him struggle, not just hear him grunting and sound effects, but like see the the impact it's having on him physically is written all yeah. over his face. You know, <laughs> and and you get that that wonderful close up of the the costume scenes ripping. Yes, because he's straining so hard against those webs to to stop that train. Uh, God, it's just a great scene. It's just it's beautiful. Uh, yeah, it's it's again, and I love it goes from it's everything you love about superheroes because it starts out very simply beat up the bad guy, which mm-hmm. is great, and we love to see that. And when movies don't give us that, and then when superhero movies don't give us a beat up the bad guy scene, we get frustrated. Superman returns. Look at me. Um, <laughs> So it, it starts that way, and then it, it beautifully transitions into a save everyone, mm-hmm. which is the great dichotomy of the superheroes. Do you catch the bad guy or save the civilians? Um, you know, and then after he stops the train, he's he's he he passes out. Yes, for, for from a few the strain. Yeah, from the strain, and you know the the people catch him, and they 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 hoist him up. And everything, and uh, actually, when I was watching it the other the other week, this when this scene came up, my my wife was walking through the living room. She's like, I don't, "I don't think they actually need to hoist him quite that high." It's like, "Yeah, Spider this Christ." Is, this is <laughs> I didn't say that. I was like, "This is more dramatic. This is yeah, this is the <laughs> dramatic way you do it." Uh, it's New York. These are all theater people. They know that. Yeah, I uh, get it. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, um, uh, but you know, they they lay him down, of course, and you get that 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 lovely. Uh, scene of the New Yorkers, and of course he comes back. He comes regains consciousness. And, yes, and he realizes his mask is off. I love it. I love the look on his face when he touches his. Oh shit, my mask! Fuck yeah! And then the the kids give it back to him. He pulls it on, you know. And then you get out. Then you get you know Otto Octavius comes in, Doc Ock, uh, mm-hmm. and everybody could literally just uh, steps between him and Doctor Octopus, and just a great scene. It's something they tried to do in the first, but it was much more ham-fisted hokey, uh, where like the civilians on the bridge start throwing bottles and stuff at Green Goblin, Green Goblin uh, yeah. which which tickles me because that's fucking New York. Let's throw a bottle <laughs> at him. Uh, but it's it's very hokey. In this movie, it feels much more like this guy just saved everyone on this train, and look what it like. It, it took a lot out of him to do it. Uh, it, it feels more earned and it's mm-hmm. much more subtle because it's just them like you want him, you got to go through me like stepping up, like everyone yep. kind of steps. Like it, it's much more subtle and therefore much more, I think, dramatic to see it. I do love <laughs> the throw of the bottle at Doc Ock or uh, at Green Goblin. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I think it's a little better. It was throwing the same Raimi kind of like hey, try that again. I think we can do that better. Yep, and nails it in this one. And they're like, you got to go through us. And of course, Doc Ock's like, okay. Okay, <laughs> and, and and he does it, and I mean, you can tell uh, Pete is 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 thoroughly exhausted. This yeah. is something else that I, that you don't see a lot of in in superhero movies is is where the the superhero has pretty much given everything, and he's got nothing left. Uh, they, they show it a few times in others. Uh, the Daredevil Netflix series does it really well in season yeah. one during the hallway, the hallway fight. fight. Yeah. Um. Um. You, you get a little bit of it with uh, Cap and Endgame, but... but he can do this one, all day. Yeah. <laughs> that's <laughs> but literally that, his that, character. I don't get is. tired. I can do this all day. <laughs> exactly. But, yeah, that, when he's standing alone against Thanos, you know, yeah, is, yeah, is no, that's the, the, the thing. 
Um, but that's setting up a whole different, that's a whole different setup than what we're dealing with in this scene. In this scene, he's literally got nothing left. He's taking everything he can just to stay on his feet, but he's still going to do what he has to do. Why? Because with great power, <laughs> you got that. Because when thing, you yeah. have an ability to do the things, you don't do the things, and then the bad things happen. Sorry, you know, I fucking hate then, that dialogue. And then, uh, and then, of course, Ock just you know, you know, slams yeah, him. Knocks him one, two, knocks him out. Yeah, just, that's it. Because that's all he's got left. Yep. Yeah, it, it's great scene. Wonderful. I'll watch this movie just to get to that point. Yep. And I know we're getting long in the tooth, but one last thing I got to bring up is right. conclusion to Doc's Ox story. Um, his his I think it's his final line. Um, when. He's got his experiment running, and and he's about to to get everything he wants. He has the the sort of fight with Spidey, uh, and then Spidey takes off his mask and reveals it's it's me, it's Peter, and they kind of have that moment. Um, and, and you see Doc Ock come back to being Otto Octavius again. Uh, yeah, and he has a realization of what he's done, what he's become, and I, I believe it's his last line: "Is I will not die a monster." Yes. He sacrifices himself to destroy the machine that's getting out of control before it destroys. The yes. Uh, his, his redemption arc uh, at the end is just a, a, a cap on a, a very well-played character. Yes. Um, as much as I would love to see Alfred Molina reprise this role in some capacity, going forward because he does do a great job with it i think it would take away from this this story arc yeah so this, this character uh, arc say what you will about you know and this was very much in that era of kill off the kind of superhero style stuff which we the mcu finally started to get us away from uh, but i think in this case it works i think it's a great redemption arc for the character it's a noble sacrifice um you know he doesn't impale himself on his own glider <clears throat> So. Well, you can't you can't get mad at that. <laughs> That's straight out of the comics. Just because it's in the comic doesn't mean it isn't stupid. But it's <laughs> iconic from the comics too. No, I'll, I'll give you that. Uh, and we do get we do get a great return from Willem Dafoe. We do. Um, and so apparently that that cameo was not planned. Oh. Uh, yeah. Uh, so apparently, um, um, Willem Dafoe was walking back to his apartment or something. I, I guess he lives in New York. I don't know. And uh, or hotel or whatever, and he came across. They were doing location shoots, and so uh-huh. uh, he just came across the production and and went to visit and say hi. And was talking to Sam, and they're like, "Hey, let's uh, let's throw you in a cameo. Let's you know see if we can't do something." And I guess they just played around with it, and yeah, just just brought him Sweet. back. Yeah, it was completely, uh, completely ad hoc. Hey, here he is. Let's let's throw him in. So. Well, it was an awesome surprise. I love, I love his because he catches you off guard. It's awesome. It's great to see. Him. Uh, but it's, yep, Spider-Man Two overall a great. Again, it's got some flaws. It's got some pacing issues. It's not as is slap bashed as uh, you know modern superhero movies are. But I still think it holds up. I think everything about it still holds up. It's it's much yep. more a character movie than it is a summer blockbuster spectacle movie. Uh, it's very much the story of Peter. And and evolving as a as a hero and as a person, and coming to grips with all that, 
but it's got all the trappings you expect from a superhero movie, and it does all of those yep. really well. And I think overall, it is the best representation of Spider-Man on screen we've ever gotten. Uh, yeah, completely agree. It's and and not to take anything away from the first movie, um, but the first movie, literally the first act is him getting his powers. We get an origin story, so we don't get the we don't get Spidey all the way through the movie. Um, yeah, it, it's again origin stories are fun, but they're they're should never be the most dramatic story of that character is how I became yeah. a hero. It should be okay. It's because this is you've chosen to be a hero. Now, what is it like to live with that responsibility? That's always the yeah. more interesting exploration. Yeah. Um, this is a, it's a great character movie. Um, it is, in my opinion, as well as yours, it's the best Spider-Man movie that's been made. Yep. Uh, and it's in my top five of, of, of all time, superhero movies. Absolutely. Absolutely. Just, even even against the new uh, as I heard it referred to today, the 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 superhero Marvel Renaissance that we're in right now. The golden age of conflict movies. Yeah. I mean yeah. there's there's we're we're living in an age where there's an embarrassment of riches of good comic book movies. Um that being said, this one still holds up. Uh I'll put this against anything the MCU has put out. Uh even though it might be a little dated now, I don't care. Uh, I, I still think the it holds up in, in every way you would want a movie to hold up. It holds up. Yeah. And <clears throat> that being said, though, one thing that going with the MCU going forward, uh, when they do finally get around to bringing in uh, the Fantastic Four, <laughs> and we know it's going to happen eventually. But get, yeah, we'll get there. Yeah, when they get there, we have got to have a scene with Tom Holland. And whoever's playing Johnny Storm on Statue of Liberty. They need to cast Johnny Storm with Tom Holland because those two characters need to have best buddy chemistry. And if they They don't, you've done done a job wrong because their relationship is fantastic. Especially if you want to keep building seeds for the MCU going forward, there's a relationship to start building. Yes, yeah, so. most definitely. But that's a discussion to have at another time. Yes, but there you go. Those are all reasons for why Spider-Man Two is the best Spider-Man movie ever. Uh, if you disagree, we don't care. Uh, <laughs> go ahead and unsubscribe. And <laughs> sorry, haven't made that joke in a while. But tell us what you think. Do you agree with us? Do you not agree with us? Are there reasons we missed? Is there something you think makes it great that we didn't talk about? Uh, did we talk about something you think makes it terrible? Whatever. Let us know what your thoughts are. Um, and let us know uh, what other Joe Bob stuff you're excited for. I forgot what else we talked about this week. Uh, we hope Maybe. you enjoy this extra long, extra special episode. Tot Nerdy 2. I'm Obi John. He's Commander Scott. I am. And with great podcasts. And with great. I should have thought more about that. <laughs> Work on it. Work on it. Yeah. yeah. You, when you can. Do the thing, but you don't do the thing. <laughs> when, you, when you can talk about a thing, but you don't talk about a thing, and then other people don't know about the thing because you didn't talk about the thing. Is it a thing? <laughs> <laughs>